pond, then bought more land, and became one of the richest men in the village. Though relatively well off, Yi Chang remained extremely hard-working and thrifty all his life. The family house consisted of half a dozen rooms, which occupied one wing of a large thatched property. Eventually, Yi Chang replaced the thatch with tiles, a major improvement, but left the mud floor and mud walls. The windows had no glass, still a rare luxury, and were just square openings with wooden bars, blocked off at night by wooden boards. The temperature hardly ever fell below freezing. The furniture was simple, wooden beds, bare wooden tables and benches. It was in one of these rather spartan rooms, under a pale blue homespun cotton quilt, inside a blue mosquito net, that Mao was born. Mao was the third son, but the first to survive beyond infancy. His Buddhist mother became even more devout to encourage Buddha to protect him. Mao was given the two-part name Tung. Tse, which means to shine on, was the name given to all his generation, as preordained when the clan chronicle was first written in the 18th century. Tung means the East. So his full given name meant to shine on the East. When two more boys were born, in 1896 and 1905, they were given the names Tse Min, Min means the people, and Tse Tan, Tan possibly referred to the local region, Jiang Tan. These names reflected the inveterate aspiration of Chinese peasants for their sons to do well, and the expectation that they could. High positions were open to all through education, which for centuries meant studying Confucian classics. Excellence would enable young men of any background to pass imperial examinations and become mandarins, all the way up to becoming prime minister. Officialdom was the definition of achievement, and the names given to Mao and his brothers expressed the hopes placed on them. But a grand name was also onerous and potentially tempted fate, so most children were given a pet name that was either lowly or tough, or both. Mao's was the Boy of Stone, Shishan Yazi. For this second baptism, his mother took him to a rock about eight feet high, which was reputed to be enchanted, as there was a spring underneath. After Mao performed obeisance and kowtows, he was considered adopted by the rock. Mao was very fond of this name and continued to use it as an adult. In 1959, when he returned to Shaoshan and met the villagers for the first and only time as supreme leader of China, he began the dinner for them with a quip. So everyone is here except my stone mother. Shall we wait for her? Mao loved his real mother with an intensity he showed towards no one else. She was a gentle and tolerant person, who, as he remembered, never raised her voice to him. From her came his full face, sensual lips, and a calm self-possession in the eyes. Mao would talk about his mother with emotion all his life. It was in her footsteps that he became a Buddhist as a child. Years later, he told his staff, I worshipped my mother. Wherever my mother went, I would follow, going to temple fairs, burning incense and paper money, doing obeisance to Buddha. Because my mother believed in Buddha, so did I. But he gave up Buddhism in his mid-teens. Mao had a carefree childhood. Until he was eight, he lived with his mother's family, the Wens, in their village, as his mother preferred to live with her own family. There, his maternal grandmother doted on him. 
His two uncles and their wives treated him like their own son, and one of them became his adopted father, the Chinese equivalent to godfather. Mao did a little light farm work, gathering fodder for pigs and taking the buffaloes out for a stroll in the tea-oil camellia groves, by a pond shaded by banana leaves. In later years, he would reminisce with fondness about this idyllic time. He started learning to read while his aunts spun and sewed under an oil lamp. Mao only came back to live in Shaoshan in spring 1902, at the age of eight, to receive an education, which took the form of study in a tutor's home. Confucian classics, which made up most of the curriculum, were beyond the understanding of children and had to be learnt by heart. Mao was blessed with an exceptional memory and did well. His fellow pupils remembered a diligent boy who managed not only to recite, but also to write by rote these difficult texts. He also gained a foundation in Chinese language and history and began to learn to write good prose, calligraphy, and poetry, as writing poems was an essential part of a Confucian education. Reading became a passion. Peasants generally turned in at sunset to save on oil for lamps, but Mao would read deep into the night, with an oil lamp standing on a bench outside his mosquito net. Years later, when he was supreme ruler of China, half of his huge bed would be piled a foot high with Chinese classics, and he littered his speeches and writings with historical references. But his poems lost flair. Mao clashed frequently with his tutors. He ran away from his first school at the age of ten, claiming that the teacher was a martinet. He was expelled from, or was asked to leave, at least three schools for being headstrong and disobedient. His mother indulged him, but his father was not pleased, and Mao's hopping from tutor to tutor was just one source of tension between father and son. Yi Chang paid for Mao's education, hoping that his son could at least help keep the family accounts, but Mao disliked the task. All his life he was vague about figures and hopeless at economics, nor did he take kindly to hard physical labor. He shunned it as soon as his peasant days were over. Yi Chang could not stand Mao being idle. Having spent every minute of his waking hours working, he expected his son to do the same and would strike him when he did not comply. Mao hated his father. In 1968, when he was taking revenge on his political foes on a vast scale, he told their tormentors that he would have liked his father to be treated just as brutally. My father was bad. If he were alive today, he should be jet-planed. This was an agonizing position where the subject's arms were wrenched behind his back and his head forced down. Mao was not a mere victim of his father. He fought back and was often the victor. He would tell his father that the father, being older, should do more manual labor than he, the younger, which was an unthinkably insolent argument by Chinese standards. One day, according to Mao, father and son had a row in front of guests. My father scolded me before them, calling me lazy and useless. This infuriated me. I called him names and left the house. My father pursued me, cursing as well as commanding me to come back. I reached the edge of a pond and threatened to jump in if he came any nearer. My father backed down. Once, as Ma was retelling the story, he laughed and added an observation. Old men like him didn't want to lose their sons. This is their weakness. I attacked at their weak point, and I won.
Money was the only weapon Mao's father possessed. After Mao was expelled by tutor number four in 1907, his father stopped paying his son's tuition fees, and the 13-year-old boy had to become a full-time peasant. But he soon found a way to get himself out of farm work and back into the world of books. Yi Chang was keen for his son to get married so that he would be tied down and behave responsibly. His niece was at just the right age for a wife, four years older than Mao, who agreed to his father's plan and resumed schooling after the marriage. The marriage took place in 1908, when Mao was 14 and his bride 18. Her family name was Luo. She herself had no proper name and was just called Woman Luo. The only time Mao is known to have mentioned her was to the American journalist Edgar Snow in 1936, when Mao was strikingly dismissive, exaggerating the difference in their ages. When I was 14, my parents married me to a girl of 20, but I never lived with her. I do not consider her my wife, and have given little thought to her. He gave no hint that she was not still alive. In fact, woman Luo had died in 1910, just over a year into their marriage. Mao's early marriage turned him into a fierce opponent of arranged marriages. Nine years later, he wrote a seething article against the practice. In families in the West, parents acknowledge the free will of their children. But in China, orders from the parents are not at all compatible with the will of the children. This is a kind of indirect rape. Chinese parents are all the time indirectly raping their children. As soon as his wife died, the 16-year-old widower demanded to leave Shaoshan. His father wanted to apprentice him to a rice store in the county town, but Mao had set his eye on a modern school about 25 kilometers away.